Welcome everyone to another episode of the Completely Cricket Podcast. The Ashes are in two days and I know that many England fans, including myself, have been waiting to finally get the chance to win back the urn after that pretty shambolic 4-0 loss down under in 2022. This is why this episode is all about the Ashes and our thoughts on both teams, Australia and England, their squads, squad selections and in the end we will mention who we think is going to win. Hopefully there isn't anything too controversial but um, considering we're both from England, uh, you might see, uh, Australia fans might see some slight in- England uh, impartiality. Um, however, um, keep uh, tuned to listen to this episode and we will talk about the Ashes. So before we continue, Zaid, would you like to do the usual announcements, please? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. And you know, if you do enjoy the content that we produce and, and enjoy listening to it, then please uh, do follow the Completely Created Instagram account um, and like the post of any episode that you do enjoy. And also, if you um, have anything, any comments that you have about uh, anything that we say or do, then please do comment uh, on any post in the Instagram. Thank you very much, Said. So let's get started with the main episode. For me, before we even go into the actual content, um, uh, including the teams and, and talking about the teams, you've got to start with the conditions um, uh, of of the, the conditions of the of the, the grounds that England um, and Australia will be playing on. Um, ben Stokes has publicly uh, asked the has mentioned that he has asked the groundsmen um, to create flat pitches uh, for them to play for the Ashes. Flat pitches means loads of runs um, in cricketing terminology. And loads of runs means that basketball seems to be able to thrive. Do you think, Zaid, we're going to get the type of matches that we've seen when England have played Pakistan or even Ireland most recently? Or do you think that because of the quality of both England and Australia and their bowling attacks, we might see more low-scoring thrillers like we did see uh, in the Ashes in 2019, which were in England? Yeah, I guess everything's possible at this stage. I mean... Yeah, having asked for flat pitches, um, you, know, you still can't, you know, disregard the fact that Australia have possibly the best bowling attack in the world at the moment in Test cricket. Yeah, they've got. We're going to talk about them even more later on. But yeah, they've got brilliant pace bowling attack. They've just got Nathan Lyon as a spinner. So you know, they've got so much that even you know, the flat pitches is obviously be better for the batsmen. Um, but yeah, considering you know the bowling attack of Australia, especially you know, that that could produce some. Could be mag- magical, you know, that, that could produce a low scoring thriller. Yeah, um, even on England, they've got some uh, very good bowlers, Anderson Broad, you know, brilliant combination for so many years now. Robinson's there, um, yeah, so, so they've got brilliant both sides. I think they have some really good bowlers. Um, so actually, to be honest, I disagree with those to ask the flat pitches because you know, even though their basketball has been, um, you know, it's gone really well so far, I think you know, maybe uh, give, give the bowlers a chance because you know. England have a brilliant bowling attack, and they do want to try and match um, Australia's clear bowling attack as well. But yeah, you know, I think at the moment I can't really say for sure, but I think you know it's definitely possible that there could be some low spin thrillers. But equally, you know, it's possible that the, uh, the flat pitches you know, might produce some really high scores as well. Some people might actually say that that statement from Ben Stokes is a bit of a, a defensive statement because it's very clear, especially. Um, over the last year, that England's batting has been their strength in comparison to their bowling. Their bowling has been very good at times to allow them to, you know, score runs and then put user scoreboard pressure to take wickets and then, you know, win by innings, win by two, three hundred runs. But obviously it's clear that England's bowling attack is worse than their batting. The, it seems like 
England are sort of trying to negate the fact that Australia's bowling attack might be better than theirs and therefore producing flat pitches to sort of win win matches and win tests based on just off of their batting, which is an interesting tactic. And it's something that we've 100% we haven't seen in recent in recent history. And I think, as you said, flat pitches means high scoring runs. We don't really want those like those um, draws where Australia might score 500, England might score 700. And by the end, it's just a, it's a very it's a very boring test match. It, it's not really a basketball thing where if, if both teams score loads of runs, it sort of requires one team to score loads of runs then the, and then that same team to bowl out the other team quite quickly because then you get a, a comprehensive win. Otherwise, it can easily you know, peter out to a draw. But looking at England's bowling attack, England have actually um, men- have actually published their squad for the their final eleven for the match, so we know a bit about who's going to be bowling. Whereas in Australia, it's it's still unpredictable. We don't know who exactly will be playing. So England's main bowling attack um, involves uh, Jimmy Anderson, Ollie Robinson, Stuart Broad, alongside Moe Nally as a spinner. Some people have said that for Moe Nally, not he hasn't played two years of Test cricket yet. Now he's being sort of forced into the team as the primary spinner. Um, Zaid, what do you feel about this? Do you think that um, do you think Moinelli's done enough to deserve this spot over any other England spinner? Or do you, and yeah, what do you feel about his selection? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, as you said, he has been has been in the Test side for years now. Um, I mean, obviously, hearing of Jack Leach's injury, yeah, we all would have wanted Jack Leach you know, as the primary spinner. Unfortunately, he's out. Um, but yeah, I was just I was thinking, yeah, if there was anyone anyone better, anyone more deserving than Moinelli, and Yes, I can't really think of many. I can't really think of anyone really because you know you, Parkinson. I guess he's had a go, but you know it hasn't. I mean, we've talked about in a previous episodes. We have talked about sort of the pace he bowls out. We've talked a bit about him, but I think I'd rather have Moen Ali um, than uh, Parkinson. Then you know even before that you had Don Best, um, who going through he reconstructed his action. I think uh, in counter cricket a little bit. He's still going through, I think, you know, it's that phase where he's getting back into things, and you know he's looking good. But yeah, I think I think Moenadi is a good option. Also, considering you know he can add some, um, he can add extra batting. You know, he 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 put down he put down to about uh, I think eight there. So yeah, I think I'd say Moenadi. It's not the ideal option if you're going for the primary spinner, but you know I think considering you know other other possible uh, players or. Also considering his batting, batting, batting would provide, I think you know it's it's the correct option. I was never a big fan of Don Best, really. I think obviously his his period in the England team did coincide with their you know slump in form. I think it was one win in seventeen tests, a stat that has been you know at the time was massively publicised. So he ne- it didn't really look like the the solution for England's you know spinning spin issues um, uh, over the last you know five five or so years and and I think Jack Leach was definitely improvement um so it is interesting um some will view Moeen Ali as an improvement obviously offers a lot with a bat he's you know batted in the IPL at anywhere between three and seven even for England anywhere between three and seven short format cricket so that's that's always an improvement another interesting selection would be the the absence of Mark Wood um on Sky Sports it was made seem as if the, the the selection decision was between Stuart Broad and Mark Wood, and that England opted to pick Stuart Broad. What do you think of the reasons for this? Say why 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 um you know obviously the the Australia's bowling attack when you've got people like Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, even Scott Boland who can all bowl regularly in excess of eighty five miles an hour. England don't have that, 
And Mark Wood is viewed as the direct, you know, the best solution to to to, to England's pace woes. But them not pick, they're not picking Mark Wood, um, picking Stuart Broad over Mark Wood. What's the rationale behind that decision? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, first question I'm having is why was it Mark Wood? Uh, why was it between Mark Wood and Broad? I mean, what maybe for example it could have been Mark Wood uh, between Mark Wood and Robinson. That's what I was nothing else. Also, I think you know Broad. I guess you know he has lots of experience. He has a brilliant record in his days with Warner uh, back in 2019. Yeah, that that was a really fun to watch. You know the the challenges that Warner had against Broad. Um, so that could be a possible reason. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think you know Marco should be playing. Um, not necessarily in for Broad, but I think perhaps maybe you know get him in for Robinson. Just because I think you know we really need to um, you know, have someone with excess pace, um, you know, just someone like Mark Wood, I think provides exactly that. Um, you know, as you said, you know, Australia's bowling attack, pace bowling attack, you know, has you know, they almost all of them can you know go bowl pretty quick. So you know, you want to match that. You want to have um, Mark Wood playing, I think. But you know, I think for me, the main question is, you know, why does it have to be between Broad and Wood? Why can it be between Robinson and Wood? I think. Especially when you've got flat pitches as well. Obviously, you know if if all if things like swing and seam have started to fail, and you're in like sort of over sixty of a test match, having an express pace bowler who can rough up the batsman and then allow the other bowlers to bowl around that him, and also just you know the short ball tactic, for example, we've seen from England, it works a lot better when you have someone bowling at ninety two miles an hour rather than someone bowling eighty five miles an hour, and I think that that is obviously another plus side to Mark Quid. Ollie Robinson, I think the reason why he's been picked is because I feel like Stuart Broad, especially in, the, in Ireland's second innings against, you know, when um, in, I'm talking about the England Island test and, and when Andy McBride and Mark Adair scored, I think, 150 in their partnership, um, they, they, Stuart Broad looked a little bit flat. Um, he looked a bit one-dimensional when he was bowling to, uh, when he was bowling without the new ball um, as Ireland continued to bat and bat. And I felt like Ollie Robinson seems like he has enough enough wit about him, enough ideas to be able to to he I don't think he'll ever sort of run out of ideas and start getting, you know, hit. And I think he'll he'll be able to take wickets in all conditions due to his ability to to seam the ball and also to swing it. So I think that's a potential rationale for him being um for him being picked. Looking at Australia's bowling attack, there have been reports that Josh Hayeswood was injured for the World Test Championship final, but maybe back for the um maybe back for the uh Ashes. Um, maybe maybe not for the first test, but for future tests. Do you think that uh, Mitchell Stark had a bit of a Toro time? I wouldn't say it was a, he bowled badly, but he did he did get hit for around five, six, and over um, in both innings of the, uh, in the World Test Championship against Indian batsmen. Do you think that if Josh Hazelwood is fit, he will come and replace Mitchell Stark in the Australian lineup, or do you think Australia will keep faith in Mitchell Stark for the first test? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean. I think Mitchell Stark. He's I think he's the only real left arm left arm pacer in the attack. So that could be something that goes his way. Um, you know, as he said, he he did go for around five or six um, runs and over in the Test Championship final. But I think definitely for the first couple of tests, I think Australia will back him. I mean, I think I I back him as well. Um, you know, I think um, again, if we're looking at sort of previous experiences, looking at the last Ashes, um. Uh, Stark had a pretty, pretty decent time of it, um, so I think you know I would back Stark to play at least in the first two games, um, and then you know Josh Hazelwood, he definitely he, he should play as well I think, but you know 
for me at the moment, I I uh, back start. Uh, Collins been really good. Collins been really good. Collins, obviously Saxon. So yeah, I think I I back start for now. But yeah, Hazelwood could literally come in here in in, in future tests. I think that um, it's going to be difficult to play Stark, Hazelwood, Boland and Cummins because you've obviously got Nathan Lyon into the mix. Thinking about Nathan Lyon, we saw his performance in the World Test Championship final. I think he took a fourth from the in the second innings and he he wasn't, obviously it's not like the subcontinent, for example, and where the ball might grip in an absolute rag, but he still, in, in any condition, in any place in the world, has a massive impact for the Australian bowling lineup and he can make deep inroads into either the, the top order or he sometimes plays that role where he cleans up the tail. Do you think that, how, how important do you think Nathan Lyon will be um, as a, as a right-hand offie? Um, and especially when you've got Moeen Ali on the other side, um, do you think, who do you think will be more um, pivotal for, for their bowling attacks, Moeen Ali or Nathan Lyon? I think, I think Nathan Lyon is going to be really key for Australia. Uh, just because I really like how um, yeah, I was. I saw an interview that he had. Uh, I think it was after day four or day three, um, and yeah, they everyone established that you know there wasn't really much turn uh, for spinners you know on the last day or so. And you know, Nathan I still you know, came up with that he had a few more tricks up his sleeve. You know, still managed to you know, clean up the tail, get a few wickets, and finish off the game for Australia. So I think that shows some real character from Nathan Lyon here you because know, he didn't just you know give up really and um, just accept the fact there's not really much spin. Um, you know, he kept bowling and he kept getting wickets. So I think uh, I'd say for now, you know, Lyon's definitely going to be more uh, important uh, as, as a sort of spinner in the Test match. Uh, I think he's been really key, been really key. Because he's going to have turn in that game uh, in the on that on the last day. So if he does get turned, uh, as when that happens, you know, he's going to be even more dangerous as we already know. Yeah. So I think you know he's going to be sort of the pivotal spinner in the Test match. He's a bit of an unsung hero, isn't he? He sort of manages to get. Um... He managed to get spin out of nothing. He managed to get wickets from nothing. He sort of gives that Australian attack another dimension and, and makes it and makes it just makes it all encompassing. So you know, if if one of the pace bowlers is having a bad day, Nathan Lyon will cover, and if if Nathan Lyon's having a bad day, the other paces will cover. It sort of seems as if they've got a very gelled unit and a unit that works very well in sync. Moving on to the batsmen, I want to start with Australia because they've played the most recent cricket. The, obviously, we saw Australia's um, batting in the World Championship final. Um, there, there are a few names that could be sort of in this mix, in, in this next question I'm going to ask you, Sid. I'm, I'm quite interested to see what you think. Who do you think at, at this moment in time, uh, going leading into the Ashes, is Australia's most potent batsman? So not the best batsman, but the guy who will take the game away from England, essentially, with his runs. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing two possible names, and I'm going to go with Steve Smith. Um, just because you know him and Travis Head had a brilliant you know they both were hundreds in in the Chess Championship final. Um, and you know I was I was I was keen to go with Travis Head, and you know he he obviously he had brilliant innings of hundred sixty odd. Um, Steve Smith had hundred twenty. So you know most people are guessing it might go with Travis Head. I think Steve Smith, just because you know he's obviously got the experience. He's been playing for so long. Um, but you know, at the moment, I think sort of um, he's in form, obviously. Um, but I think that you know, coming up against England, the last time you know this happened, twenty nineteen. I mean, what an Ashes we all know that was. Um, you know, he had a brilliant series. Um, England just couldn't get him out. I mean, that that was literally the only question they had in their head was how do you get Steve Smith out? 
Um, so I think um, you know he he obviously has confidence as well coming to his test into the series, you know, just scored 100, just winning against India. So I think, for me, it's going to be Steve Smith, but I think Travis said, you know, he's very much up there as well. It's pretty hard to ignore um, uh, Travis Head's figures this season in terms of batting stats. You know, 2023 Test Cricket, he's played five matches, he scored 486 runs, an average of 60, and he's going at a strike rate of 80. This is some pretty, you know, this is pretty basketball type figures, right? You know, it's quite unprecedented in terms of general test cricket, especially for a, a batsman, um, you know, he's, he's batting at four or five. So he does have some sort of license score runs. Uh, I, I, I think for me, it, it has to be Travis Head because of the, just because of the nature of the way he bats. He never looks 100% comfortable. Yet at the same time, even if he gets, you know, hit hit on the, on the body by a couple of deliveries or he gets pinned down a little bit, he comes back and he, breaks that pressure with just a boundary or two boundaries in a row. And that ability just to, to keep the runs ticking and never to succumb to the bowlers. You see some batsmen, C. Smith included actually, really dot up at the start. You know, they take loads of time that, you know, they feel the pressure and they want to sort of, you know, let, let the let the wave ride over. Whereas um, Travis Head always takes it to the bowler. And I think that's some skill that very few test batsmen have. And I think it, it could be crucial for... For Australia, especially when they're playing against an Indian, uh, an English bowling attack on a flat pitch. Another question, you know, looking at the openers, um, David Warner is going to be um, opening. Uh, is is what a lot of people are saying, and is is most likely after his forty three off sixty in the uh, first innings uh, in Australia's first innings, um, alongside Usman Khawaja. What do you feel about David Warner? Do you think that he's done enough to to open for the five? Ashes test and do you think if he doesn't open do you think there's uh, good enough replacements for him or do you think Australia are a bit stuck with him yeah I, I think he's good enough uh, firstly I think you know there isn't really I don't really see anyone that could really you know, be a good replacement for Warner also because you know he did have a good innings um, in the first in decent you know, first innings uh, in, the, in the in the championship final um, but yeah I think you know, he will definitely fill that you know open spot with probably I'd say Khawaja, as we saw in the uh, against India. So you know, I think you know, he'll be there. Um, I find it really interesting. You know, two left-handers opening batting. You know, it's an interesting, interesting you know, approach to things. But you know, one thing I'm, I'm I always you know love to talk about sort of past experiences, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I really love talking about that. So I'm going to definitely bring up uh, Stuart Broad. Um, uh, against Warner in 2019 in England. So I think you know, Broad will be pumped for this. Uh, he'll definitely ready to bowl to Warner again. Um, so yeah, I think Warner's definitely up for it. But, you know, he's, he's obviously, you know, he's probably got to forget you know, what happened against Broad and, you know, get on with it. You know, he, he, we all know what he can do. We all, we've all seen him. So I think Space Bang Nine is going to be pretty strong. I mean, you've got Quaja, Warner, Labashane, uh, Smith, Ted. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really good. I mean, what do you think of their batting order? I think, um, I, I think their batting, um, I think Australia are, are quite strong in the sense that you know, two left-handers. You're right; it, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's worked for them so far. And I think um, the openers are left-handers. One and get out, and then you're replaced by Manus Labuschagne. Another wicket, Steve Smith. So it's all you get that variety anyway, um, and it sort of sets up the uh, the opposition bowlers. Bowling to left-handers, you know, setting their, adjusting their line and length, and then the right-hander comes in after a wicket. Then they've got to recalibrate, so it can be effective. 
just looking at the top four of both teams, with England, it's as as I mentioned, the squad's the squad's been announced, so we know exactly who's playing. It's just the the, the same as it's been for the last couple of tests. Uh, you've got um, Ben Duckett, uh, Zach Crawley um, uh, opening, and then you've got Ollie Pope, Joe Root. All four scored big runs uh, against Ireland, so all four coming in good uh, confidence. Then you've got Australia, David Warner, Usman Kawaja, Manus Labuschagne, and Steve Smith. Just a quick thing, though. Um, if you look at those top top four of both teams, which top four do you think, if you, as a bowler, who would you? which top four would you um, be less wanting to bowl to? Who? Which one would you prefer to bowl to, actually? I think I probably prefer, well, I mean, I wouldn't really enjoy bowling to either of them, but um, I probably think that Australia kind of had the edge over England, um, just in that top four. I mean, both teams are both right, looking brilliant. I think uh, if I go like in order, you know, I think guess uh, Crawley against Warner. Um, I'd say I'd say I'd say Crawley wins that one, um, just by a bit. Um, I think so. Crawley and Ben Duckett have been really good at the top recently. Um, that sort of right hand left hand combination is brilliant. Duckett's been really good at picking length. I think that that's a brilliant opening combination. I think two openers, Crawley and Duckett. I think. That you know, I'd, I'd rather bowl to Australia two openers than um, that. But then looking at three and four for Australia, Labuschagne and Smith, I think that's just that's a really good combination. Um, and I think that's sort of what sets apart uh, Australia's top four um, to um, England's top four. I mean, England got Pope and Root again, you know, pretty good batsmen. Um, both are, you know, Pope's in really good form. Root's not, we all know about him. So I think, you know, England are good as well, but I think Australia's just about had the edge over England for me. Okay. I think that's uh I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. And Miles Labuschagne and Steve Smith, they could take the game away from you, you know. Uh they they might take they might go at a fifty strike rate at the at the start of their innings, but they will they can completely blow out the water. And, and I feel like after you know reminiscence of twenty nineteen Ashes, you know England will be wary bowling games. We'll try and chuck everything they can at them to get one of them out and then disrupt that partnership. Moving on to the middle order quickly, Australia have Travis Head, Cameron Green, who we didn't mention in the bowling attack, but obviously bowls very you know very handy. You know actually quick. Um, right arm pace, uh, around 85, 87 miles an hour. And then Alex Carey at seven. And England uh, in their team uh, have Harry Brook, Ben Stokes and Johnny Bairstow. Harry Brook, Ben Stokes and Johnny Bairstow, all three didn't haven't really played much red ball cricket recently, haven't had a, a long bat um, in, in a match, whereas Travis Head, Cam Green and Alex Carey all batted and all, um, all done uh, relatively well. Do, who do you think has the edge in, in the middle order battle there, Zaid? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with England for this one. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, England haven't had um, in the middle of session, haven't had best time. But you know, to Brooks, Stokes, and Best, I'm going to add in Maureen out Murnadi um, just in that middle order because I think you know he's got a picture into that. Um, and if we look at, compare that to uh, Travis Head, Cameron Green, and Alex Carey, well, yes, you know, Travis Head, we talk about him, he really he's in such good form, as you said, he's sort of taking it to the bowlers and doesn't, doesn't let them off the hook. Um, you know, and you know, Cameron Green, you know, he's got really solid defence, I think. You know, he's got long levers, which is really useful. Um, and Alex Carey, you know, is a very, very useful batsman, uh, wicked batsman there. Um, but I think just Brook, you know, in the last sort of year or so, the transition he's made from county cricket to international cricket has been really good. So, you know, I think Brook's looking really good. 
Sanchez captain. I think he's also, you know, he's leading um, Basel um, sort of movement. Uh, so I think, you know, he's taken on Basel really well. Um, I think just overall, just sort of that England middle order just has sort of that ability to take the attack of bowlers slightly more than I think the Australian middle order do. Um, sort of excluding Travis Head there, because I think, you know, he definitely does uh, do exactly that. But I think sort of England do have slightly the edge over the Australian middle order. I feel like um, Alex Carey must be given a special mention here because he sort of, he again has been for the batting order quite a, uh, a bit of an unsung hero because he, he scored some valuable, you know, 40s, 50s um, down at seven. And um, based on pure, pure batting ability, probably about higher. And him as a, he's been a good keeper and he's scoring vital runs uh, for Australia, which is which has very, been very useful for them. And it, it sort of followed a trend with Australian keepers who can who can bat well and score runs. I, I agree with you that England's batsmen, yeah, England's batsmen, they might have the slight edge. I'm. I like Harry Brook, and obviously he scored loads of runs in his start Test cricket. But I guess for him, especially playing against Australia at home, is going to be the proper test of his batting credentials. He's going to have maximum ten innings to to show his worth. And you know, I guess Joe Root said himself, um, you know, players could be you know made or broken um, in an Ashes series. So he could come out of this, you know, with an even more stellar record and a proven match winner record. Or he could come out of it, you know, with his flaws exposed, like David Warner's were, and and the and his um and his batting, you know, looking a bit in tatters. So that'd be quite interesting to see. Overall, I think, you know, we've covered everything. We've covered bowling, the batting, and and it's looking like a pretty even match. Would you say that? Absolutely, yeah. It's looking really, yeah, it's getting fiery. I think, um, and yeah, it's going to be really tight. I think overall, and looks really good, really exciting to watch. So now when I ask you about your honest, your completely honest prediction about um, about who you think is going to win the Ashes and by, and what do you think the final score is going to be, what do you feel? What is your what is your say? Yeah, that, that's a really tough one. I think, I think out of the five Ashes, out of the five matches, I think I'm going to say two of them are going to be drawn and the match is going to be, uh, the series is going to be decided in you know, one of those games, and I think Australia going to come out on top. Um, you know, I really, yeah, I, I was blaming England obviously for the Ashes, but I think Australia just, I think their bowling sort of just wins the battle just slightly, um, just because of their pace bowling attack. The Scott Boland has recently joined the force as well, um, and I think that just slightly has you know, a slight edge over England. I think it's going to be really tight, but I think it's going to be two-one to Australia. I feel like you're. Um your bowling assessment is quite correct because, you know, Australia is so relentless with their bowling. It just feels like, as a batsman, do you have an escape? Will England batsmen be able to sort of overcome that, like, barrage of deliveries at the start and, and really be able to set a total? It'll be interesting to see because England will play with a no-fear approach and they will play, you know, as if as if this is... Obviously, they'll realise the significance of a series, but they'll also realise, you know, they don't feel any pressure to... Um, to try and um, to to try and you know appease to play in a way that they don't want to play, they will play their way, and, and that'll be really interesting. I see. I feel like two tests were drawn last year. I feel like one test will be drawn this year, so that leaves four tests to be played for. I, I I'm a bit stuck. I th- I think <clears throat> I'm go- I'm hopefully going for a two two draw, but that does mean that Australia do retain the Ashes. 
um, because they won it last time uh, in that 4 0 drubbing in Australia um, in 2022, which obviously, but I think, I think England will put a huge fight. I think Australia will win tests and they might win them convincingly, but England have that ability to come back. So I think that England can really hold Australia down to the final test. But I do, I, th- I think it will be a 2 2 draw. No one wants to see a 2 2 draw realistically. People want to see an outright winner, but um, that also the fact that the, the team who won it last year. Uh, sorry, last Ashes gets to retain it is a is something that's a bit questionable of a is a questionable rule, and that's another topic to talk about. But I think what we've really shown is that England and Australia both have extremely high quality players, and this is for a lot of these England English and Australian players. This will be their the pinnacle of Test cricket for them. This will be the best thing that they will do in their careers, and this series is very important for Australia, who are the newly crowned World Test champions, as well as England, who have beaten teams um they've won 11 out of 13 but they really need to prove their metal against a high quality australia team that's it for the end of this episode of the completely cricket podcast hopefully the ashes goes well and um we'll get to see some high quality cricket